So my question that I have for you this morning is, is, is what is your spiritual condition? T- today we are in this incredible passage, just 10 verses here in Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 4, this powerful passage where we're going to be looking at the two spiritual conditions that we can have this Christmas. But if you have your Bibles, could you hold them up with me? You know, just, just get a little wake up this morning and repeat after me as loud as you can. Say, this is the Bible. This is the Bible. I, I'm going to need a little bit more than that a little bit this morning. Say, say this is the Bible. God's Word. If I read it and respond to it, it will change my life. Now, today we are in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, and, and Paul here, the Apostle Paul, is writing to this church in Galatia, right? And, and this church in Galatia was having all of these people coming in preaching this false gospel, right? Paul had already come through there. He had already made sure the church was solid and established, and here were these people named Herodians who were coming in saying, hey, look, like, it's not by grace alone that you're saved. You need to work for your salvation, and here all of these people were began to believe these things. So Paul was like, man, I, I, I got to write them a letter. And here Paul is giving them this incredible truth on which how they could live their lives. And here, a part of this truth, we land in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 through 29. And it reads like this. In verse 27 it says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is some good news. Paul says, man, if you have some faith in Jesus. If you know him, if he is your personal Lord and Savior, you are not clothed in rags. You are not clothed in hand-me-downs. You are clothed in Christ. Meaning that, that when you stand before the Father, he's not seen all the dirt that you've done in this life, but instead he sees his perfect, holy, and spotless son. Oh, that is some good news. And Paul goes even further. In verse 29, he says, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Oh, like, do, like when, when we read that verse, like if we understood the weight of that verse, shoot, we, we would be up here worshiping until the, the Christmas Eve service tonight at 6.30. Like when we truly understand the weight of that verse, maybe I need to refresh your memory. And, and you know the truth of this, but maybe we don't all fully understand it. If you know the song, would you please sing along with me today? <clears throat> Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons have Father Abraham. Ooh, I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Okay, give me a round of applause. That, that was some 
really good singing. But that right there, the thing that maybe you began singing since you were four years old, is Galatians chapter 3, verse 29 theology that me and you, if we are in Jesus, are sons and daughters of Abraham. Right? This is good news. Why is that good news? Because God, out of the goodness and grace in his mind, chose Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, he chooses this man named Abram. And he says, out of you, I will bless you. I will bless your descendants. And I'm not going to stop there. The entire world will be blessed through your family. And Galatians chapter 3 says, if we are in Christ, we are grafted into that family. What, what happened to that family? Yeah, those, that's the family that we know as God's chosen people, the Israelites, whom God looked at and he heard their cries when they were in captivity in Egypt. He said, you know what, I, I'm going to do something that's never been done before. And since 10 plagues to deliver his chosen people, those were the people of the promise. And when they're delivered... And the captors are coming back to get them, and, and here they are in front of the Red Sea. God said, oh, oh, let me split a sea in half, stop the waters from running so that my people of my promise can cross through on dry ground. And then when they're there in the wilderness, and they say, God, I'm hungry. And he heard their complaints. He sent down manna from heaven to his people of his promise. And then after a little bit of bread, they say, man, I'm thirsty. God gushed water out of a rock so that his people of his promise could drink. And when they came up against the walls of Jericho, he tore the walls of Jericho down so that his people might be able to conquer that land. We are that exact same people. We are grafted into that family, those people of the promise. Oh, that is good news. That God's heartbeat for them through all the miracles that we read in the Old Testament is the same heartbeat for us who are in Christ. Oh, that is good news. <laughs> but I believe that the devil doesn't want us to know our condition in Christ. Because he knows if we knew our condition in Christ, we, we would walk a little differently. <laughs> right? Our families, our neighborhoods, our schools, our, our workplace would look completely different if we understood that we weren't just some distant cousins, but we were sons and daughters of Abraham, of this, of, of this promise that God had given them. Man, our prayers would look different. Of God, if you made a way from them, would you make a way from my family right now? Of God, if you shut the mouths of lies, would you shut the mouths of anxiety and depression that had been speaking and roaring in my mind for the past few years? God, if you did it for them, would you do it for me? And God, if you're calling me to give my lunch away and I'm worried that I might be hungry, I know that I'm people of the promise and you sent manna from heaven so that they might eat. You can take care of me because you have always taken care of your people. Oh, if we knew that, we would walk differently. We are to recognize our condition. But not everyone in the world, not even everyone in this room are under that condition. 
We are not all born people of the promise. Because Paul goes on in his letter in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, he says this. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children or when we were unbelievers, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Right? There are many people, there are many of us in this world who actually are not people of the promise, but as Paul says, are enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Meaning we actually listen to the thoughts and we follow the principles of the things that we see all around us, right? Instead of listening to, you know, Apostle Paul, maybe we follow the teachings of Playboy Cardi, right? Like, right? Like, and instead of listening to his teachings and holding tightly to the teachings of Jesus, we hold a little bit tighter to our favorite YouTuber or, you know, our, our favorite politician, president, mayor, governor, right? Philosopher, professor, and it's like, man, well, their life looks really good, right? They, their Instagram pictures are always fire, right? They're, right? They're, they're, their filters are always going crazy. Man, their retirement plan is looking sweet, right? Their, their house, they, they built their dream house. Like, I want to do the exact same things as that person so I can have every single thing that that person has. But, but if that person is not living according to this word, According to the words of life, the only other option is that their principles lead to death and to destruction. And it's hard to see sometimes because they're smiling. It's hard to see sometimes because they're having a good time. It's hard to see because they got a million subscribers on YouTube and, and their, face, their face got no, you know, no pimples on it. You know what I'm saying? All the, their biceps all big, six-pack abs. Like, it's hard to see sometimes. But just because you're smiling does not mean you're walking in the ways of life. Oh, and, and, I, and I shared this with my students a couple weeks ago, right, where, you know, I, I, got, a, you know, I got a little baby, right? And um, her name's Malia. And, and tomorrow she's going to be seven months old, right? It, it's been great. Yeah, come on, come on, come on. She, she's great, but all babies as humans need cleaning. And uh, a few weeks ago, we, you know what I'm saying, we got, we got this, this little whale that we put in the bathtub, you know, small for her so she could sit in it. We call him Willie the Whale. And we put her, you know, I, I, it's my turn, bath time, all right, here we go, yay. And I put her in Willie the Whale. And, you know, a couple months in, I'm like, yo, I, did we get new soap? Like, why is brown foam coming up? Like, nobody put this in the parent training manual, right? Like, she, got, she just got, like, doo-doo coming up everywhere, right? All over Willie the Whale. And I'm like, I, I, I don't know what to do, but do you know what she's doing? Looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> Splashing in her own doo doo. 
Like, like, like not knowing that if she stayed in her own doo-doo, it would lead to her destruction, right? And, and it's funny, but, but that often is what it looks like to live in the elementary principles of the world. That we can smile and we can laugh in it and, oh, it was so fun last night. And all of my friends laughed at that thing that I said. And my family completely approves of me. But, oh, we're swimming in our sin. That will eventually lead to our death and destruction. And I think there's a passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 1, that says this really well when, when Paul is talking about unbelievers and he starts here in verse 28 and it says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, Maliciousness, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And we may read this passage and try to justify it of like, well, I had to be a little deceitful on my Tinder profile so I could get a date, right? I, I, had, I had to be a little deceitful on my job application so I could at least get into the interview. And yeah, maybe I only worked that job for two years, but I can put four. Just so at least I can get to that interview and they know that I'm good, right? That's against the heart of God, though, right? It's like, I, 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 but I got to be boastful, right? Nobody thought I would make it. So I got to flex on them. I got to show them that I made it, right? And, but that's still against the heart of God. Right, and we can run through all of these different things and, and try to justify it, but, but ultimately sin is sin. And in Romans 3.23, it says that, Everyone is guilty of this. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That everyone born on this planet is sinful. And why would that be a big deal, though, right? Like, if, if everyone's doing it, it can't be that bad. Romans 6, 23 says, for the punishment of sin is death or eternal separation from God. When we recognize that that might be our condition or the condition of those around us, man, that is some difficult news. Not, not just separation for a little bit, but eternally. Right, 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 right. Because there is a real God who is really holy and he lives in a real heaven and he cannot dwell with those of us who bring our filth. And we are eternally separated from him in suffering. In a, in a place that we call hell, like that is a very grim thing to think about this Christmas season. But, but I thank God that Galatians chapter 4 doesn't end in verse 3. <laughs> 
Right, right. There is more to this chapter. And there is a reason in verse 4 and 5 of why we can still sing for joy. That's why we celebrate this holiday even 2,000 years later. Because in light of all of our sin, in light of all of our filth, verse 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Man, that is good news. That is the reason why we can still sing for joy, even if everything this Christmas does not work out. This is the whole point of Christmas, that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And this son was not born above the law. No, 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 no. This son was born under the law to a woman. Born in a manger, a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth. Man, this was the moment, this holiday was the moment where humanity were drowning in the pool. And Christmas is the moment when the lifeguard jumped in. Oh, this, like, like, like here, Jesus comes wrapped as a baby, and he doesn't stay a baby. He actually grows up, and he, and he lives this law, and he lives it perfectly in a way that none of us ever could because he also was under the law. But the only difference was that we were under the law, and we broke the law, and our punishment that we deserve was death. But Jesus, he came in full obedience to the Father, followed the law perfectly, and then he who knew no sin bore our sins. There they put nails through his wrists and in his feet, and they did not hang him on a Christmas tree, but they hung him on that rugged tree we call a cross. And there he breathed his last breath so that those of us who believe in him might be able to live forever with him in heaven. Jesus, he did not stay dead. He rose to life again. And his hand is stretched out to us, offering us the greatest relationship, the greatest gift of all time. A relationship with him starting now that will never end. So what do we do? We trust in God's saving action. We trust in God's saving action. Because maybe you have been a part of this Christmas tradition for years now, maybe your entire life, and you know that story. Right? You, you, you know the songs. You, you can sing along. You ring, you, you, you ring the bells. You could say it. Maybe you've even told other people about this story. But, but the question is, do you trust it, though? Do you believe the story? Right, it, because, you know, there, there was, there's this, you know, the story how it goes. It's 1929, right? This crazy thing happened in this country called the Great Depression, right? And everyone who had their money in banks, like, lost it. Like, nine million-some people lost all the money they had ever saved. And so the only proper response 
is for them to lose trust in the banks, right? And, and even though the banks reopened up and they said, you know what, we, we can guarantee you this amount of money, you're going to save it, no matter, like this is never going to happen again, people still took their money, put it in the sock drawer, hid it under the mattress, put it in their left shoe in the right corner of the closet because they don't trust the banks anymore. And that makes sense. I get it. If you had gone through that and had trusted a bank before and lost all of your money, I would get that we would lose trust in banks. The problem I have is oftentimes that's how we as believers treat God. We say, yeah, yeah, I know your story. I, I know you sent your son. I know he died on the cross. Cool. But, but let me help you out with my salvation. Let, let, let me actually secure my salvation. I, I understand that you say, yeah, if I trust in Jesus, that I might have eternal life, but, but make, I'm, I'm going to just make sure I do enough good things so that I, I, I might be in right standing with you, God. We're, we're hiding money under a mattress when it's actually completely entrusted. There is a bank that we can completely trust. Right, this saving act. But, but when we say, no, I must earn my salvation, what we are actually telling God is your saving act on the cross wasn't enough. That, that your work wasn't good enough. That, that I got to help you out a little bit in saving me. <laughs> but do we trust this act? his saving act, that we are eternally secure. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, that we are eternally secure. And it's hard for me sometimes because I believe, like, like I've said this before, I've preached it many times about this saving act of Jesus, but oftentimes when I get there and I just sit there on my own, I wonder, right? I, I sometimes still wonder, man, it, it, is this truly real? And, and a couple weeks ago, I was able to read this book by a man named Dane Ortland. And these pages, man, these paragraphs that he had about the heart of God towards us, man, it rinsed my soul. And I came across this paragraph, and I was like, Lord, Lord, I, I want to believe this with everything in me. Would you help me in my unbelief? So today, would you read along in this passage with me, this paragraph that he writes in his book? And I want you to ask yourself the question, do you believe this? He says this. He says, if you are in Christ, your waywardness does not threaten your place in the love of God any more than history itself can be undone. The hardest part has been accomplished. God has already executed everything needed to secure your eternal happiness. And he did that while you were an orphan. Nothing can now unchild you. Not even you. Those in Christ are eternally imprisoned within the tender heart of God. We will be less sinful in the next life than we are now, but we will not be any more secure in the next life than we are now. If you are united to Christ, you are as good as in heaven already. Do we believe that? Do we truly believe that? That his grace is sufficient.
that his act saved us. Do we believe that? Right, Matthew 12, 30, Jesus tells us, man, anyone who is not with me is against me. Anyone who does not gather with me scatters. There is no gray area in the kingdom of God. Right, you are either with him or against him. There's not like, oh, I mean, like, you know, December I went to church two times. I did half the advent calendar. I, I ate some chocolate before. Maybe I'm not good with God anymore, right? Or you know what? I, I passed that man on the street who, who needed a couple dollars. Maybe, maybe I just lost my salvation. No, no, no. You're either with him or against him. There is no, oh, I got one foot in. Maybe if I do some more good things, I can get more right with God. You're right with them or wrong with them, right? There, there is no in the middle. There is no gray area. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, man, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If that is you, you are eternally secure. You can jump for joy this Christmas season knowing that you are in this family for eternity and you do not have to earn your way into a family that God says you are already a part of. You are secure. We can be his children. And John chapter 1 says, but to all who did receive them, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, we are children of God. Those who believe in Jesus, that is incredible news to think about this Christmas season. And so we are to trust in God's saving action. But where are we to go from here? Point number three is receive God's adoption. Receive his adoption. Galatians chapter 4, verse 5 and 7 reads like this. It says, to, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his God into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Oh, that is incredible news that we may no longer be so far from God, but we are actually his children. Far greater than even saying Father Abraham is saying Father God. And we are his children. He's adopted us into his family. And we have a perfect father. And some of you in this room right now, maybe your dad wasn't that great. Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe he wasn't in your life. I can promise you God is not like that. And maybe some of you are in this room and you're like, man, I, I have the greatest father of all time. Even the greatest father who has ever lived on this planet is only but a shadow of the father that we have in heaven. <laughs> and this father, he loves you. And his love is, can be described like an ocean without shores or without a bottom. The more you swim in it, the more vast you see where his love and his grace is for you. It never ends. It completely encompasses us. We sin, he loves us. We forget to read our Bible, he loves us. We forget to pray, he loves us. We don't go to church and he loves us because we're his children. 
And what father who really loves their kids doesn't care how long they've been gone, but just wants them to come home for Christmas? And he loves us. And man, the more that I recognize that, the more that I just want to spend time with him. I just want to wake up in the morning and just read his word and talk to him and pray to him. And, and when I go on a run and I'm just running through the neighborhood, I'm just talking to him about everything, right? And, and because he, he's that good and he's that lovely. Man, that's the father that we have. He loves to hear our voice. He loves when we come to him. Right, I just went home a couple days ago. We had our little early Christmas on my side of the family. And, and you know, I'm trying to, you know, get my, the, the couple of hairs I do have on my face right in the bathroom. And, and my dad just walks in and we just, he just, we just talk for 45 minutes on, and just in the bathroom, uncomfortable. Right, just super weird. Like we like, like one feet away from each other. But, but I love that because he's my father. Man, but how much better is it to talk to our perfect father? Do you believe that he wants you? Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that he sent his son down so that we might become his sons and daughters? And he loves us. So, so this, this Christmas, if... If you're sitting here and you're like, man, you know what, I, I've just been stuck in tradition. I've been stuck in the mundane. I've been stuck in the routine and I have lost my wonder of this season. Would you embrace him? Would you spend time this Christmas embracing the Lord? Would this not be the only time, the hour of your whole Christmas season where you celebrate the Lord? Man, would you go home and would this continue? And if you're like, Michael, you don't understand. Like, I have so many holiday traditions. I got to go to my in-laws, and then I got to go to my, 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 you know, nuclear family, whatever. And then I got to go to my parents. And I, then, you know, Cousin Bobby, he's over here. And I got to go to Cousin Bobby. And then, then I got to go to Auntie Susie over here. Like, like, you don't understand my schedule. I don't think I have enough time to embrace the Father. And, and, and my challenge to us this season, if, if your Christmas tradition doesn't involve you spending time embracing this good father that we have, maybe, maybe it's time to switch up your Christmas tradition a little bit. To center it around the one who this season is actually named after. Not after the movie Elf that you've already seen 72 times, right? Not after drinking hot cocoa and roasting chestnuts at the fire, right? But would we center our Christmas season around the one who made it possible? <laughs> then would we do that this Christmas? And that's not going to ruin your Christmas. No, I promise you it will be the most joyful Christmas you've ever had. And if you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I don't know that one. I do not know that man who came to give the greatest gift ever. Man, do not leave today without coming to know him. Because I promise you there will be nothing under the tree that's greater than having this relationship with Jesus. There is nothing at all. Nothing at all. So if you're here today, we're going to be down in the front. Man, come talk to us. Come pray with us. And, man, would we as a church embrace the true meaning of Christmas this year? And on the other side of that comes fullness of joy like you've never imagined. Let's pray.